And we are live on Backseat Carpool Banter. I'm your host, Jonathan Silver. In today's episode, I am joined by my co-host, Sam Kruchikov, and as always, a very, very special guest, Jamie Ruth, former president of the Houston Texans. In this episode, we'll be covering facets of your career and what you are doing now, now that you have officially resigned from the team. We know your last day is March 31st, but if you want to find Jamie Roots, make sure to go check out him at jamieroots.com. That is J-A-M-E-Y-R-O-O-T-E-S.com. You can go check out his book, The Winning Game Plan, which also comes out in the next few weeks on Audible. So if you want to check it out there, click the affiliated link in our bio. If you start a free trial, it helps out the show. Make sure to stick around to listen to the great stories and the conversations that we are going to have on this episode. You do not want to miss it. Welcome to Backseat Carpool Banter. Hey, it's awesome being here. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Welcome to the show. So let's get uh, right started. Um, your last day with the Texans is officially March 31st. What's your involvement with the team at this point in time? So, Sam, I'm just serving as a, uh, a resource for all the folks that are on my leadership team, all the mm-hmm. transition that's required, making sure that they understand what they, uh, they need to be doing. And so uh, it's, it's kind of a part-time-ish deal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm spending the rest of the time visiting with uh, – with great podcast people like you. <laughs> oh, I mean, appreciate that's great. I uh, appreciate the time. Yeah. Um, so we, we mentioned that you, you officially resigned. How did you guys uh, reach an agreement or what, what ended up happening? And, and let's get like a 24, 48 hour period towards the end where you decided to resign from the team. Yeah. So Jonathan, I, uh, about four years ago, I thought about leaving the Texans. I had been there for 16 years and mm-hmm. really felt like I had done everything that I could do there. But uh, Bob McNair, who's our chairman, our founder, he was in ill health. And I, I just didn't feel comfortable leaving mm-hmm. the organization exposed like that. And then two years ago, I thought about leaving. But uh, uh, Cal, who is Bob's son, was transitioning into the chairman role and really felt like he needed me for a period of time to to navigate the waters and Mm -hmm. so two years in I I feel like everything is very stable um and it it was really just it was time it was time to move on and do something else Yeah, yeah um and your departure actually kind of parallels with another long time Houston Texans departure in JJ Watt. He helped out the city uh, tremendously, especially during the hurricanes. Um, and he's really kind of become a fan favorite and also a staple. So uh, what did JJ Watt just in general mean uh, for the city and the team? And also, do you have a personal relationship or stories with him? Well, I do. I, I love JJ. He, I call him the triple threat. So mm-hmm. he is somebody who's got rare God-given talent he is a meticulous worker, so he works his tail off. Mm-hmm. And number three, he realizes that he has the ability to impact society because of the platform that he has. And when mm-hmm. you have all three of those things together, it's just 
It's magical. And JJ from the very beginning was that kind of guy. I mean, look what happened to Houston. JJ Watt leaves the Texans and the place freezes over. I mean, it's like God <laughs> was not real happy that he was leaving the Texans. So, mm -hmm. but uh, JJ's a wonderful guy and uh, he's had a tremendous impact on so many people. He was a wonderful representative of our organization, really set the tone for, for what we were all about. And uh, just, I, I've always felt blessed to have the opportunity to work with him. It kind of seemed like he embodied what it means to be a Texan. He put the city and the franchise on his back, especially the city with the Hurricane Harvey relief that he took a very, very hefty leadership role in. So that triple threat kind of goes into not only give, having the talent, but being able to influence and make change. And he was definitely one of those players that stood out on the football field, but more importantly, off the football field. Didn't he also win a Walter Payton Man of the Year award? He did. He won Man of the Year. He was Defensive Player of the Year several times. So, I mean, he's got all of that. But, you know, the good thing in Houston is we have the opportunity with Deshaun Watson to have the same type of uh, type of kind of transformational player. You know, Deshaun has rare God-given talent. I mean, God only made so many quarterbacks like that. Uh, over this uh, this generation, if you will, um, right. he also works his tail off. I mean, he he's all in to, to. I mean, he's the first guy in. He's the last guy to leave, and he recognizes that he can improve people's lives. It's not just about him, because he was blessed early on. I don't know if you know the story, but Warwick Dunn, who played running back at the Atlanta Falcons, mm -hmm. was involved with habitat for humanity and they mm. he actually built Deshaun and his mom a house and gave them the oh, wow. keys to the house and I, I believe because of that experience Deshaun has always felt like he has an obligation to give back to others so if they can figure out the relationship between the team and and DW4 mm -hmm. um, I mean it can be something really special and I and, and I hope they make that happen yeah, so can you run us down on like what exactly the situation was while you were there and towards the end of this past season, what was actually going down? Because the media was painting it a certain way, but we, we want to shed light on what actually was happening. Um, what, what are your thoughts on the way things are being handled right now with Deshaun Watson, uh, Watson's future in Houston in question and the team consistently saying that they want to keep him there? Well, the team definitely wants to keep him there. I mean, mm -hmm. he's a, he's an amazing talent. And I just, I think what's required is communication. They just, they need to talk uh, because Deshaun can be assured of a successful career in Houston if mm -hmm. they will talk. I'll tell you, I just, I've not been close to it over the last couple of months. So I don't know whether those conversations have happened, but uh, you know, it, at my office and I'm, I'm there till 331. There's a plaque that I have out front that says it's hard to hate up close. I just mm. always feel that if you, if you sit down and talk to people, you can figure stuff out. And so I hope that's what they're doing. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great quote just to live by in general, not necessarily only in the football context, but in general, it is hard to hate up close. It's better to make the personal relationships. You don't have to like the other person, but you have to understand them so that you can move forward. Exactly, exactly. I, uh, you know, uh, I don't know who, maybe Will Rogers, he was, he was, uh, he was uh, mentioned to be someone that he never met a man he didn't like. Right. And mm. I think that's the way all of us should live. I mean, you can like somebody, you don't have to agree with them, but mm -hmm. connect with them. And so I hope, I hope that's what they do is they connect and they find common ground and, and he feels comfortable that the way the franchise is being put together, um, cause we've got some talented people. I mean, David Cully is a great head coach. Mm -hmm. He was a great choice. Uh, and, and Nick Casario is an excellent talent evaluator. So I think, mm -hmm. I mean, we've got the people to be able to take the franchise forward, but, you know, uh, Bobby Bowden, you remember Bobby Bowden? He uh, was the coach of Florida State. Go mm Knowles. -hmm. Uh, I'm a current student. Yeah, so he said uh, <laughs> uh, the guy with the best players usually wins. So mm -hmm. they really need to, to keep Deshaun and have him motivated and energized to be the face of the franchise. Mm. So what, what did you think about the Texans' new GM hire? Um, what, what were your thoughts on them not necessarily choosing a guy that a lot of people thought was, you know, the, the, the next in line? Or, uh, you know, there was, there was a lot of controversy around that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, John, so um, we, we pursued Nick several years ago, Nick Casario. Okay. at the uh, New England Patriots. Mm -hmm. I, I think he's a very talented guy. He's got a great work ethic. I think he's, uh, he's a team-oriented guy. So, so I, think, I think they made the right choice. Okay. Um, that's okay. It, it, I think it's important where everyone's kind of on the same page. So even if you're uh, not going to be with the team uh, in your role as it is now going forward, it's still good that everyone kind of – is an agreement. Um, now transitioning into what you were doing with the team, you were really running the business side of things, right? Right. Um, so there's been a kind of, uh, again, a, a debate going on within uh, the sports world at large. Uh, we recently spoke with an NBA executive to hear the side in the basketball, but you want to hear the side in football now. Um, of there being kind of a double standard with players and teams working together, uh, where when a team wants to deal a player and his contract, it's completely acceptable when a player wants uh, to either restructure their contract or to move on from a franchise that are villainized. Uh, and in the NFL, it's been happening a lot, especially with running backs holding out. We've seen it with Le'Veon Bell and his contract discussions, Melvin Gordon. Um, what's your perspective from the business side of things uh, of this uh, kind of evolving debate? Yeah. So, I mean, everybody's got, uh, everybody's a free agent. Mm-hmm. And every franchise has the flexibility to make the decisions that they need to need to make. And so it's, it's really a parody. And so from a public perception perspective, there might be some kind of villainization mm -hmm. on either side, but everybody's got their, their flexibility. Right. And the key is, and, and really, you know, I, y'all mentioned earlier, I, uh, wrote the book, the winning game plan, mm -hmm. right. Which is a leadership, a leadership lesson. And, 
the most important thing is the people, right? The mm -hmm. people make the organization. The organization doesn't matter except for the people. And so the goal is to get the right people on the bus, get the wrong people off the bus. Mm -hmm. And if somebody, uh, I, I just have never found a situation where I could not come to terms with value proposition, right? How much you're worth and how much you're paid and mm -hmm. that, and that, and that meets. If for some reason you have an unrealistic expectation of what you should be paid, you know, that's okay. Go out and do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. But as long as we meet in the middle, life's good. And for some reason, things get sideways. I don't know. Maybe it's because it, it, communication. Mm -hmm. People just don't communicate well. What do you want? What will we pay? If we can all come together on that, then then that works. Yeah. Sports is definitely more of a business than people know. Uh, a lot goes into it behind the scenes that people don't even bat an eye. They just watch every every Sunday or Saturday college football. But so much, I'm sure. I mean, I, I hardly know what goes on. But it, it, there's so much that goes behind the scenes. When a team moves on from a player, that just becomes a business decision, right? It's, it doesn't meet the standard for the price that you want to pay or you can't find a middle ground. But the other side, which is the double standard that people are referring to, is that when a player wants to move on, they're kind of not in the right because for some reason the organization or the team that they're involved with doesn't want to move on with them. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you just, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a delicate dance, you mm -hmm. know? When I think about what happened with J.J. Watt, you know, you, you could have played hardball and said, J.J., we're not going to release you. We're going to make mm -hmm. sure that we get a, a second round selection and we're going to move you to some team that you may or may not want to play for. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was one direction. But I was proud of the way the organization approached it and said, hey, J.J., look, we're going to release you and you can go wherever you want. And so mm -hmm. if he wants to go play with his brothers in Pittsburgh, great. If he wants to go back to uh, Wisconsin and play for the Packers, great. So, I mean, it was, that was really nice to see them take the high road, but, uh, but you're right. It is, I mean, those, they're business decisions and, but you do have to take into account the, uh, the publicity implications mm. of those decisions because players mean a lot mean a lot to the fans you know mm -hmm. and, and they want to know that you're doing right by the guys that are part of your team and uh, the, again the Deshaun thing is still hanging out there that he's a special guy I think he's 25 years old mm -hmm. he's a, a rare talent I just that's they got to get that right yeah and I, I, I'm actually glad you mentioned how there's this balance between um what you want to do from the business side but also how it looks publicly and then also on the football side of things so how much uh when you were really uh steering the ship really coordinating with all these other departments the football side the pr side um the social responsibility side all of that yeah we all i mean we collaborated uh throughout the building uh it, mm -hmm. you know there's it's like a marshmallow, you know, you, you push it in one place and it comes out another, right? <laughs> so you have to contemplate all of those 
uh, impacts and make the decision that, you know, you're never completely sure whether it's the right thing to do, but the, the important thing is to consider all of the outcomes, the unintended, unintended consequences mm -hmm. and, and try to make the best choice and then move on, you know, cause you're not going to get all of them right. You know, right. everything's, everything's a B plus, right? So you get a B plus and you move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because you are really in charge of, uh, there's some people that get to be in charge of a small business. You were in charge of a multi-billion dollar organization. Uh, how did that feel and how did your experience evolve over the years? Uh, because you were pretty much uh, the, one of the first uh, members of the organization in general. Yeah, so I, I, I started a, uh, a soccer team called the Columbus Crew in Major League Soccer, right? Mm -hmm. And so I spent five years there and it was a startup and I was very hands-on. And then when I came to, to Houston, it was another startup. Um, and they were, there were more similarities than there were differences. It's just mm -hmm. bigger numbers. You just have to add three or four zeros to every check, right? So they were much bigger numbers. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the transition that I had to make about three or four years into leading the Texans was from being a micromanager to being really a leader. Mm. To, to work uh, on the business rather than working in the business. I had very capable uh, leaders in, in every department, and they didn't need me there every day, you know, questioning their decisions and providing input. And so that transition was really transformational for me. I mean, I then began, became the guy that was looking out over the horizon for opportunities and mm -hmm. threats and and the team was working I mean they were so busy day to day they they didn't lift their heads up but mm -hmm. I was one looking out over the horizon for you know what what should we be doing differently what could we add to our business what mm -hmm. do we need to defend from and and that's the transformation that happened for me and and uh I'm so blessed that that I did get that opportunity and to do it for a number of years and and then eventually, you know, it's time to do something else. You basically described yourself as an extremely great visionary leader. Someone who sees the bigger picture, sees the future in ways that other people can't. And you being able to, I mean, you were assigned to the Texans and then kind of kick-started the franchise that people watch every Sunday now. And you've referred to yourself as an entrepreneur in the past, that you're involved <laughs> on the inside. So take us into what it was like to create and really kind of develop that Texans organization from the inside. Yeah, so uh, you, you, that's a – the entrepreneur is uh, – is really important because there are so many entrepreneurs, right? But mm -hmm. I don't feel comfortable out on the deck of the ship. I want to be on the inside of an organization and then mm -hmm. create from there. That's just, that's who I am. And so with the Texans, we, uh, we built a brand based on what our fans said that they wanted. We built an experience that was customized to what our fans wanted mm -hmm. and uh, had a great run for 20 years. 
but just one example of this idea of a of an entrepreneur is during this whole COVID uh, mm -hmm. deal the last year, 24-hour fitness went into bankruptcy, okay? Mm. And there were lots of leases that were available. And so with a friend of mine, Mark Mastrov, uh, who runs a company called M3, and he actually was the founder of 24-hour of fitness. Mark and I, we snapped up six leases in Houston for Texans Fit. Mm -hmm. We created a Texans branded fitness facility okay. in six different locations. And uh, and so I went and did that, did the deals, and then I handed it off to my folks. And mm -hmm. they are managing them day to day. So my job was to look over the horizon and see what the opportunities are and then bring them back to the organization. I mean, the, I mean, these things are going to be, you know, over time will be throwing off five, six, seven million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. And they're they're great businesses. Um, but I couldn't expect that my team would identify those opportunities. That's what the leader does. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what I Yeah, and that's actually really important um, to distinguish between the manager and the leader. Those are two different roles within any organization. And uh, can you talk about maybe the thought process between trying to identify these opportunities, something that our viewers could take with them in their own leadership experiences moving forward? Yeah, so let's talk about leaders and managers and people get them mixed up. But the, I mean, the reality is leaders operate as managers at certain times, right? Mm -hmm. So there is, a, there is an intersection between the two. But management is a... Uh, a role just defined by an organization. Mm -hmm. An organization says you are a manager. Leaders, that's determined by the followers. They decide whether they're mm -hmm. going to follow you or not. Okay. The manager is focused on the individual, finding what, uh, what is special about you and bringing that to the surface. Leaders focus on the collective. What mm -hmm. is it that all of us want to get? and get everybody's focus on that. Uh, Tom Landry, who he was a coach of the Cowboys. I don't even remember Tom Landry or not, but mm -hmm. so, so Tom Landry said, leadership is getting people to do what they don't want to do in order to get what they do want to get. Mm. So nobody wants to want, nobody wants to run wind sprints on Wednesday. <laughs> everybody wants to win on Sunday. And right. so that's what leaders do. They articulate that you need to do this, which you don't want to do, in order to win on Sunday. And the uh, managers deal with three important questions, but not the essential questions. They deal with what, when, and where. What are we going to do? When are we going to do it? Where are we going to do it? That's the mm -hmm. management mindset. Leadership, on the other hand, is about who, how, and why. Who is the talent, the people? Who mm -hmm. are the right people for this organization? And how do I inspire them, motivate them? The, the how is the culture, the habits that we engage in? Mm -hmm. How do we do what we do? And mm -hmm. then the why is the purpose. What are we here to accomplish? What unique human needs are we fulfilling 
from our operation. And mm -hmm. that, those are the differences between management and leadership. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, establishing a culture within uh, any organization. Can you describe the one that you were able to foster over the 20 years that you've had with the Texans? That's a great question. So our, our culture can be encapsulated in one word, impact, I-M-P-A-C-T. Mm -hmm. And so what we did, you know, value, people talk about their culture and they talk about their values, but values sitting on a wall don't do anything. It's mm -hmm. got to get into your brain and then into your heart and then eventually into your DNA, part of mm -hmm. who you are. And so I-M-P-A-C-T was how we reinforced that. E I is about being innovative, thinking of new and better ways of doing what you do every day, always mm -hmm. trying to get better. M is about memorable. We wanted people that wanted to be remembered for making a difference. And people that wanted to create memories for others. Mm -hmm. P is about passion, passionate about the organization, about your teammates, about your job, about the community. A is about accountability, A, accountability, holding yourself accountable for your best performance every day and holding others accountable for their best performance mm -hmm. every day. C is courage. And I love the word courage. Because uh, yep. Sam, Sam Houston said, courage is doing what's right and accepting the consequences. Mm. And that's the type of courage that we ask for from our folks. Just do what's right. And you know what? If it doesn't turn out right, that's okay. But if you do what's wrong and it does turn out right, that's not okay. Just mm -hmm. do what's right. And then T is about teamwork, team-oriented, team, team results. So you mm -hmm. got to be a great team player. So I-M-P-A-C-T is how I would summarize our culture. Wow. I mean, that's probably the encapsulation in one word of a franchise that has been in the NFL for quite some time now. Uh, that That's just kind of astonishing to me to see that you can figure out a way to describe your organization so well and the path that you wanted to eventually build this organization into what it is now with one word, impact. What impact can you leave, not on yourself, but on your community and on the people watching you or the people that need you? So that that is something incredible. That You know, pe people want to do something outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've always focused on is how can we be of service to our community? How can we create experiences that have a lifetime impact on families. Mm -hmm. You know, how can we uh, do something that elevates the city of Houston on a global scale? You know, mm -hmm. those are those are things you aspire to. Nobody, nobody cares about the PNF, right? They don't care about the paycheck. Mm -hmm. You know, if, as long as you're making a good wage, you want to do something that's a value. For, for society, mm -hmm. and that's what leaders do. They they focus everything on what we're doing to elevate society. So now that you are no longer with the team, what is kind of, I don't want to say outsider's perspective, but from a person now who's not hands-on as you were for so many years, how do you feel like that 
culture could change or will it maintain because that's what it means to be a Texan and nobody will forget it? Yeah, so Jonathan, I, I, I know for sure it will change. It will evolve. Mm-hmm. Even if uh, my number two becomes the CEO of the of the franchise, th- there'll be some modifications, and mm-hmm. that's okay. Everybody's everybody's got their own way, but uh, you know my my game plan is to put in a box my way of doing things and mm-hmm. go do that somewhere else. And I don't know where that is yet, but I do believe that the team needs to evolve. There, it's pro- there's probably a better way to do it. You know, mm-hmm. and so they'll learn, they'll adapt, they'll grow, um, and uh, as long as they maintain the, the core elements of what I call the, the three imperatives of winning championships, creating memorable experiences, and doing great things for Houston, as long mm-hmm. as that remains, you know, the heartbeat of the organization, however they actually execute it, will be fine. Yeah, and you mentioned specifically there about creating experiences for the city of Houston, making an impact, again, going back to the the core ideology there of the team while you were running it. Can you talk about maybe some specific memorable experiences that you were a part of helping create for the city? Well, there were a lot. There were a lot. I mean, we really, it's been a love affair. Uh, But I'll tell you, my favorite was, I think it was 2005, we had an uh, a tradition that we started called Battle Red Day. Okay, mm-hmm. so we wore our red jerseys and uh, typically played the Jacksonville Jaguars. So when the mm-hmm. schedule came out, <laughs> I picked up the phone. I called my buddy at the Jaguars. I said, "Hey, bud, we're playing each other in October," and he said, "Don't tell me." I said, "Yep." Battle Red Day. <laughs> so, and, and on this game, we were uh, we were up by a couple of points, and the Jags were driving to to win the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, Petey Fagans intercepts a pass, and he runs it for a touchdown, and he jumps on top of the field wall, which is probably six feet up, right? So he's <laughs> up there. And all the fans in red are just embracing him and the teams around him. And I was like, this tradition is going to work. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was really special. And, and I do have a picture in my office of it with one Jaguars lineman, you know, walking by with his head down. <laughs> they were, they were done, but uh, that, that was, that was really fun. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's really interesting that marketing also is a big, way in shaping a culture you can sell a certain type of you know environment you can build a brand in in the ways you share a a communal message with the larger community so you know what do you are you like a master at finding a way to market certain things or or take us i mean you can toot your own horn a little bit it's it's not a big deal but uh, i don't know about that i but but i do i do love things that bring people together you know and it's not that i'm that great at it it's just i am passionate about it and so if we can you know when i first started with the texans you know every team in the league had uh you had 16 games Mm -hmm. you know you had eight at home you had two preseason games and then the balance of your season but i was like that's not good enough every game has to have meaning you know, when you think about the word logo, 
logos in Latin is yep. it, uh, the translation is meaning. Mm-hmm. So when I think about any event, any experience, any brand, you have to think about what's the meaning. Why? Why does? Mm-hmm. Why is this the way that it is? And so we created meaning in every game. So mm-hmm. from the two preseason games to the eight regular season games, they all had a theme. It mm-hmm. had something that would, it, it's not game four, it's Battle Red Day, it's mm-hmm. Liberty Whiteout, it's Eat Steel Sunday, you know? Mm-hmm. It's Salute to Service. So every game had meaning beyond just two football teams coming together, you know, cracking heads and trying to, trying to win. And so mm-hmm. uh, just when you, when you think that deeply about it, I think that's the key. It's not about expertise or, or uh, intelligence. It's just going deep enough to mm-hmm. identify meaning beyond just a game. Yeah. Especially because, uh, and I think you've obviously seen this, um, the start of the season, everyone's really excited because it's been a little while without football. The end of the season, everything's exciting because teams are fighting for the playoffs. But it's in that middle zone where you really have to work your magic, like you said, to give a little extra meaning uh, to those weeks. And also preseason. That's another one where um, how do you get people excited about games that are essentially practice games for the real season? Yeah, so preseason for us in Houston was never a problem. It just because we had we had 31,000 people on our wait list. And so, and the way that we communicated to our season ticket members, hey, look, these two preseason games, you may not want to come, but your housekeeper wants to come. Mm -hmm. Guy at the dry cleaners wants to come. The guy at the, at the CVS can never get a ticket. So the value was passing along those tickets to people Mm -hmm. and that encouragement I mean, we, we had, I, I can't imagine, I don't think we had lower than 50,000 people in the stadium oh, wow. for, a, for a preseason game. They were typically people that never come during the regular season because they can't, they, they, don't, have, they don't have season tickets. And, mm-hmm. and so they had a chance to have an experience um, that they would never have had unless someone passed their seats along. Yeah, and, and earlier you mentioned logos how, how you can also ethos and pathos go right hand in hand with that you you have to establish credibility and sell a certain feel or emotion but you know you can't really do that i mean last year was a a kind of strange year with limited fans yeah. limited to no fans kind of yeah <laughs> so how 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 it was, was it super like strange how was it like to deal with that it was super strange. So I had decided in my mind that we were not going to have fans at our games. Mm-hmm. I was not going to do that because I care so much about the experience that people have. And then I went to Kansas city, Mark Donovan, who's a dear friend of mine is the president of the chiefs. And he was, he was totally bent on having fans in the stadium. So we played the chiefs on a Thursday night. And I rolled up and I was like, you know what? It's not normal tailgating, but it's pretty normal. And mm-hmm. then I got to the stadium and the fans that were there, you know, it was like this uh, hyper concentrated fan. So it wasn't like, you, you know, you have 70,000 people normally 
but of that, there are about 15,000 that are out of their heads, right? That are just super passionate. Mm -hmm. Well, all the, uh, those 15,000, those were the ones who were there. <laughs> they were going crazy. And I was like, you know what? We can do this. And I got back to Houston and we created our plan and we started bringing fans back. We didn't have fans for the first game. Mm -hmm. It was uh, with the Ravens and that was surreal. For the balance of the season, we had, you know, 13,000, 14,000 fans. And, and it was okay. It was somewhat normal. Yeah. Right. I mean, how, how was it like, I mean, you, you playing in that first game with no fans, and I'm sure you played in other stadiums that other teams didn't allow fans in their home stadium. How was it like in those atmospheres where could you hear like a, a pin drop or was it just <laughs> – a quiet game with the the announcers on, on no, the no, PA. You, you, you could hear a pin drop. It was it was surreal. It, the the places where we played that there were some number of fans mm -hmm. was so much better. I mean, it was night and day versus mm -hmm. like when we went to Pittsburgh or we went to Detroit. We're in Detroit. I mean, I could have screamed across the field and the guys would have heard me coming <laughs> out of the locker room. I mean, it was it was uh, it was crazy, but. You know, just having some number of fans is a lot better than not having any fans. Mm -hmm. And how do you create an experience for the people that do want to be there? Because they do have to stay distanced. Um, they do have to wear their masks for the entirety of the game. But then how do you create an experience where they still feel like they're part of uh, the general football experience that they came to know and love? Yeah. So we did all the same uh, crowd interactive things that we mm -hmm we had done before with the cheerleaders and Toro and video board. And I mean, we did a full production and, you know, it, it wasn't the same. It really isn't. Mm -hmm. And, but, but it was good. It would, for those that chose to come out, I think they had a reasonably good time, but I'm looking forward to the window where they can come out and it, it be everything that they have expected historically. Oh yeah. And that first game where, we're gonna get a full stadium back though that is going to be an environment that i'm sure when the players experience that again they're also going to get jitters they're going to be a little nervous too because going a, an entire season without something that you've been accustomed to for some of these guys who've been in the years uh, in the league for so many years it's going to be a little of a, a kind of a shock coming back to a, a packed stadium when when all of your fans that have been dying to come back and watch you in person can finally do it i i, I feel like their feeling will be relief it will be mm -hmm. just this catharsis that is back to normal mm -hmm. you know because that feels normal when you're there and there's seventy thousand people and you can't <laughs> even hear yourself think that's normal mm -hmm. what we've gone through the last year is not normal Mm -hmm. right what yeah. about for the young guys uh like the rookies that never actually got to play a like a regular nfl game uh you think that'll be more of a shock to their system or they're just used to it from their days in college i think they'll be fine i you know the uh maybe it was good for the rookies this year because year year one to year two is when players get their most growth you know mm -hmm. they really develop and, and so maybe they come out of the blocks stronger than they would have otherwise. But uh, I don't know. Everybody's got a different situation, you know. Mm -hmm. What 
Because the eventual goal for every team is a championship. What would a championship mean for the team and for the city? Well, I tell you, for the city, it'd be, you know, it, it was awesome when the uh, Houston Astros won the World Series mm -hmm. and the place just went berserk. But a football championship would be on a whole new level. I mean, this, this place would, would explode. Um, there, we have such great football fans. Um, Texas is the home of, of the game of football. Um, and so, so I think it would be amazing for, for the city, for the fans, and, you know, for the organization, uh, it would be great I, if it were to happen in the near term. I'll just be disappointed that I wasn't at the center of it, mm -hmm. but, uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll still be cheering. Right. I mean, because you could still uh, view it as something that you helped develop and grow. So no matter what happens, it's still uh, you left your thumbprint, your hard work. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, it's not about the wins. It's about it's about the people and mm -hmm. it's about the experiences that you have. And I had 20 years of experiences that were off the hook. And the mm -hmm. people that I got a chance to work with and get to know were, um, they're exceptional. And they're, I mean, I, they're all great friends uh, today. And if you, it, you know, if you win, great. But still, it is about the experiences and the people. Now, before we wrap up this episode, tell the people a little bit about the winning game plan, your book that you wrote, how it is to be an author uh, out of, being a president for 20 years in the NFL, working with the MLS. You also have author on your resume. Tell people a little bit about the book and how you put your personal experiences into writing the book itself. Yeah, Jonathan, so I, uh, uh, the, the, the name itself, the winning game plan is kind of tongue in cheek because mm -hmm. what I tried to do was articulate a set of business principles, leadership principles, that would allow for success despite winning and losing. Okay. Mm -hmm. When you're in the NFL or any other sport, I mean, they're designed to uh, create parity that you mm -hmm. win as many as you lose. And so if your focus is on winning, that's your business plan. It's flawed because you're mm -hmm. going to win as many as you lose. You got to do something different. And so in the book, I talk about, you know, some, some key leadership principles like, the, the, the importance of people and of culture and a purpose and some leadership um, traits that are important for folks to focus on. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the book, I talk about what I think might be the most important thing, which is playing to win. You know, uh, you have a choice every day to play to play or to play mm -hmm. to win. You know, every game has an objective. And uh, most people play to play. But if you want to truly play to win, you can consistently deliver outstanding results. Mm -hmm. It's all an attitude of mind. And it's not about any kind of mercurial moment in time. It's about just day after day after day preparing to win. Uh, uh, Coach... Uh, at Alabama, oh gosh. Anyway, here's a quote. 
that uh, it's not about the will to win because everybody has that. It's mm-hmm. the will to prepare to win that makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just about day after day preparing to win. Nick Saban, by the way. Uh, way, way before that. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, because like you were talking about uh, earlier with how being a leader is not just about trying to get the guys to win on Sunday. It's about running sprints on Wednesday and all of those things. So uh, before we wrap, uh, I think sports really is a great microcosm of things that you could take outside of sports. And that's what you try to put into your book. Uh, would you say that's a good characterization of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sports, sports is a metaphor for life, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and you think about teams, they have seasons, which are basically lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, you come back again. It's like you're reincarnated. Uh, sports are, mm-hmm. I mean, it's the greatest, uh, uh, the greatest, uh, what, uh, virtual reality, uh, reality, what reality, uh, like, uh, uh, like uh, Bachelorette and Bachelor. And, oh, reality TV shows? Yeah, reality TV shows. It's the greatest mm-hmm. reality TV show on the planet. And But you get to come back every year mm-hmm. and you get to go and compete again. Mm-hmm. And those people that are engaged with you are now reinvigorated because you have mm-hmm. new, maybe new coaching staff, you have new players, you have, you know, and they're, mm-hmm. and they're at it again. And that's what makes sports so great. Yeah, and that's why we love sports. That's why we started talking about sports uh, on our show. So if you guys enjoyed, please make sure to leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you get your uh, audio content. And if you are interested to hear more uh, from Mr. Roots, check out his book, The Winning Game Plan. It's releasing soon. Um, And you can find it on his website at uh, J-A-M-E-Y-R-O-O-T-E-S.com or on Audible if you click the link in the description of this podcast, you can get a free trial uh, to check out any, any content, and it helps out the show a lot too. So uh, thank you guys for watching. Backseat Bander out. <laughs>